This is the Garden Cinema Film Talk, presented by Michael Chambers and Abla Kandelaft. We chat with filmmakers, actors, producers and film commentators about the art of film. We talk about the films they made, how they made them and the ones they'd like to make. This week, the founder and director of The Garden Cinema, Michael Chambers, and I are chatting to writer-director Antonetta Kusianovic, whose short Into the Blue was nominated for a Student Academy Award and first feature Marina won the Golden Camera at the 2021 edition of the Cannes Film Festival. Welcome, Antonetta. Michael, can I ask questions to you? This is about you, though, really, but if you want to ask something I can tell you that you'd like to know. Whatever you'd like to ask. I'm interested in um, what makes you so connected to cinema, at which point? More than everyone else, you know. Yes, but why? Well, it's a family thing. My father was a documentary film director and producer back in the 1930s and 40s. My mother's brother was a feature, made feature films, first in, the, in Africa. He, was in, he set up the Gold Coast Film Unit in the 1940s. And he stayed there till independence, 1960, making features, which is still shown on, on this Ghana now. Gold Coast has become Ghana. And my son, so it skipped my generation. My son, Daniel, makes uh, factual, they call it, in television. And my younger son makes his own feature films. So, so you're yeah. the generation it skipped. So it skipped me. And... Uh, I've always wanted to go into films, and I've always regretted that I didn't. It was a mistake. I went to the law, into the law instead. Big mistake. But uh, uh, entertainment law, or I practiced at the bar. You know, English English lawyers are divided between solicitors and barristers, mm-hmm. and the barristers are the courts, trial lawyers in America. Mm-hmm. With a, except here, we wear a wig and we have a yes, gown. Yes, yes. I'm imagining you with a wig now. Yes, <laughs> yeah, a wig. So I practiced at the bar for a while. And then I left to set up a book publishing business, which I ran from 1969 to 2018. Since I sold the business, I had the money to have a cinema and to convert this whole building because the staff all left when I sold the building. I had 300 people here working in the publishing. And we're converting it into what I'm going to call Cine Center. And it'll be a home for people making films or in film and television film production, distribution, and also we'll probably get the London Film School here. Great. Which will be interesting. So you must have published books that became movies. I should have done. I should have published f- f- uh, fiction, but I published non-fiction, which, which is safer. Fiction's all right, but most of it doesn't cover its costs, whereas non-fiction is a safer... So I, I hear a lot of I should have. <laughs> I know. I regret everything. No, that is not right. Well, yeah, not now. Now that I've started the cinema and the film business, my regrets have finished. I'm now entering. You're now in the now. I'm now now in the now and the future, yes. And the regret and the far past I can now forget. And I'm forgetting it. Isn't that... Dangerous? Dangerous. Healing, I wanted to say. I'd say perhaps it's dangerous myself. But going into the film business is the quickest way to lose money. Oh, yes, that's how you make very rich men poor. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I was saying about your film, how wonderful it was. And I think, you see, my theory of film, it's not just me, this is probably you as well, and that the film essentially 
boils down to the story it's telling. I'm talking about features, but even documentaries, the story has to be the right story for the audience you're intending to watch it or listen to. And it seems to me now that in the United States, perhaps above all, they seem to be neglecting story and focusing far more on production values and uh, and the, the, who the actor is and the production values and, and the marketing of it. And the story is somehow neglected. They used to say that the writer in Hollywood was the most neglected part of the film team. But compared to today, the Hollywood, the classic films from Hollywood, had very good stories. I think that... Uh, given the way that films are distributed now, we need to uh, generate so much so that we dive into producing films so much faster without ideas being flushed for many times and the way that films have been developed over many years before. So maybe that's one of the... But also, I find that there's very good uh, independent life to American cinema, especially in New York. There are some really great filmmakers emerging, or not emerging, they are already very established now, but um, like Safty Brothers, for yeah. example, they are telling great stories, I think. I don't know if you have seen any of their movies. Uncut Gems, for example. Uncut Gems? Yes. I know that I may have seen it. What's it? Yeah, it's a film I want to see if I haven't. I've heard about it. It's a documentary. I don't that many documentary. It's a heist movie. I must see it. Anyway, what do you want to talk about now that we've... Because this is obviously it's for an audience that is interested in film. You're in the chair, really, so they're interested in you as a filmmaker and why you make the films you do, what sort of films you want to make, how you want to make them. What do you regard as important? And there was a fascinating... I've done my research, you know. <laughs> and I read a very good interview you did with Variety, which was the most interesting of all the things I found. It's this interview. Yes. Is that the one you were thinking of? Yeah. Yes. I thought it was fascinating. Thank you. I am proud of this yeah. interview as well. It's good, isn't it? Thank you. Of all yes. the interviews I read, this was the one that I thought was... I think that that one captured me. What specifically about it did you, did you like? I don't know. What did you like? Well, it was towards the end. It got particularly interesting. Halfway through, after they dealt with all the usual things that other people do, then you got into all these interesting things, and I've, I've made notes of... I've underlined them. You'll see. <laughs> yes, you are uh, touching upon what the movie is about and why we are making yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. And why you make films. Yes, exactly. that is just something I wanted to say. I think that... Um, I think that we should never make anything that we wouldn't make when, you know, like if you're faced with death, yeah. whatever you would make in that moment, you should make your it. Your last chance to make a good film. Exactly. Every is film is a last chance. chance. Because you never know. We never know how long we'll be here. But it's also kind of litmus paper of what do we need to say and who yeah. we are talking to. Yeah. It needs to be made with such an urgency. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a cute story or time lost. I wrote a piece about the cinema. The, what People keep asking me, what sort of films are you going to show? So I said, I'll write it down. And what I wrote down was, we're going to make films that are worth seeing. Films, whether fiction or documentary, that are truly true to life. True to life films. True in the broadest sense of the word. True to human nature. And true to human experience 
from the most ugly to the most beautiful and uplifting. And in short, <laughs> I said, true films that you'd want to see again, not films that you see once. Well, that's never see that. I won't waste my time. That's a difficult task, isn't it? Well, actually, that's quite an interesting point when you talk about the human experience. You mentioned something, there's a universal character to the experience of Julia and Marina when you said audiences that had very little on paper in common with the character could really identify with her. Yeah, I think that Julia is a very universal character. I think that really she sits in all of us. And then... At that age, she's at also, that age. Yes, that age, the resilience, the, the, the energy, um, and something that it's good to be reminded of at any age, at any and point. And I think that often is... often gets lost. Yes, exactly. The point of Morena is to remind us of what we are inevitably going to lose. And to be reminded of that resilience in a moment of being 81 or 37 or 57 with the experience and path you crossed and having that energy, that's valuable. That's why I made Morena. But as she is universal in that sense, she's also very particular and local and specific to that mentality and country. Mm -hmm. um, when you did Q&As, say, in international festivals, did you feel that the audiences connected with the very specific Croatian background of the story? Yes. That's a very fascinating thing. In every Q&A, someone cries and opens up and takes a microphone and says, my mother was like this. My father was like this. I've lived this life. And it's always so brave. You know, it, it triggers tears in people around them, in definitely in me, in the person who's interviewing. Um, it's fascinating. And every time I think, okay, this Q&A is not going to happen, it happens always at the end. It's very... Um, emotional and this is a movie that polarizes the audience you know it polarizes <clears throat> because it's somehow almost an attack on the some sort of family mentality you know views uh, of patriarchy so people either say what is this movie about nothing really happens this is just a regular family or people are no one portrayed my family this way before and I so much experienced it to the very, on a visceral way, like through the skin. It was so tangible and scary and relieving, relieving in a certain way. So, yeah, depending on their worldview, what they saw in it, what yes, it but reflected it in it happens from everywhere. You know, it mm. happens from Korea, China, India, South America. Croatia, it, it, it's not connected only to Croatian mentality. It's where you have these traditional families. Yes. The traditional family in India, China. Yes, exactly those, yes. And Michael, what resonated with you in particular in the film? It, well, what resonated with me, well, my background is so different. So what resonated with me, the character that really I understood because it was similar to me, was this ruthless New York Croatian. This uh, Javi. I found him the most interesting character because there were so many sides to him. There was a depth there. And um, with, with Julia, she, she was a fascinating character, but she was young. But here was a man in his middle age. There was a lot of history. And 
He's, he's, he's loving, he's deceptive, he's ruthless. He's got all these characteristics. You never, you can't really read him at any one time. So that's what I connected with most. And I could see what a bastard he was. And I could see you couldn't trust him further than you could throw him. Um, but at the same time, you could see why the women had been a, had found him appealing and he'd made use of them and uh, absolutely ruthless fella. He was the most interesting character for me in the, and he, he acted it very well. I think he had things to learn as a character, as a character in that film. Yeah. Well, that's hard to say. <laughs> I think that he went through a... He was bro- broken, broken down, I would say. Even though he broke family into pieces and maybe shake up young life and marriage of others and he wanted to live life of others and he left the life of others broken i think that he didn't leave unfazed he lost as well who could uh, remain faithful to this man no no he gets people get what they deserve i think everyone gets what they deserve unless they get ill or they get knocked by down by a bus or something that's that's different but apart from accidents Life produce goes in so you get what you get, give comes back to you. I absolutely agree with it. I also think that we start to look the way we are from the inside. <laughs> Is that what Javi, the character of Javi, was there to illustrate? Is that what you wanted to explore through his character? Yes, I, I felt that that's, um, you know, an energy of the world that comes into the place that it's undeveloped, somebody who brings a potential. But that potential, you know, it's a two-edged sword. What I particularly like is that you you don't create villains, good and bad, because although the villain, as it were, lots of reviews thought he was the villain, the, the father, you still, you had sympathy. Here's a man supporting his family, very difficult life. He's got to catch these fish. And it was hard for him. And you could understand what where he was coming from. You could understand that if the daughter leaves, he's, it's even harder for him to make a living and... The wife could see that. The wife could see that here's a man she could rely on. And um, so the comparison with the Javi was here's a man who, he was, he, was a, he was a brute in a way. He locked her in the room and so on. But um, you could feel for him as well. And the wife, I could see, she could feel for him. And that came across. And I like it. When characters are just black and white, it, it gets so dull. You manage to create real people. Yes, I always find it fascinating when we can um, empathize with the aggressor. because yeah, they suffer as well. Everybody yeah, does. You know, it's like uh, people say it's a coming-of-age movie. Everybody's coming-of-age in that film at all the mm-hmm. ages. That's what I was trying to achieve because how unfortunate is that we get the you know green ticket to come on age only at 17 <laughs> when you're really going through that every five years and both in, you know, desire and hormones and uh, wants and Mm -hmm. and shifting everything from scratch. It's really these cycles, but only at 17, oh, you can come, you you can be forgiven. (laughs) At 17, they celebrate it. They celebrate coming of age. At 15, no. No, which is the big celebration in in, in Catholicism? In South America, there's a big celebration. At 16, 16, yes. I'm interested in why uh, you ex- you wanted to explore the issue of the land sale. That was quite specific. Because land is not a property only. Land is something far more. And especially the land that you inherit over generations and generations. Yeah, you talk about this here. Heritage. Heritage, it's, it's like um, 
selling your heritage is selling your soul almost and uh, that's why it was very important to me and it happens to many countries in transition i can speak from my own because i've spent most time there it's when you have when you are lying on such a wealth of your heritage it's so easy to um live off of that and not create and get kind of lulled into this but yet you you film it with a lot of compassion we still feel that behind this you as a filmmaker and as a person understand why this happens it's sad that it happens but in certain places you can understand what leads people to get involved in those kind of you know get rich quick transactions really i think that only if you empathize with everyone on screen and understand them you can um put yourself on the right side of the story of the history of the politics and so would on. you be able ever to make a film that goes into this question of people with a get quick get rich quick mentality which is very you know it spreads because if one person in the village does it they all see it and they all want to sell their land quick and get some money and go to zagreb how would you bring it down to a personal story the way you say the heritage is is sold sold off so that they it disappears because they take the money and go because i think in morina by selling the heritage he puts into almost auction not only the land but also his own family and then his soul so it's how um through heritage it transfers it's a generational pain you know it's yeah. like disrespect of you're not selling your own heritage you're selling your grandchildren's heritage so i think it's very important to see it in a reference not of one individual personal story but almost a family and um of course for the family for the new generation that heritage is also like a prison in some way so it's like how the heritage can be preserved and lives could be lived to full potential in the same time it's the big story of our age worldwide moving the population from the country to the town they're all leaving the country going to the town and often living in these slums in the town i think covid is changing that though is it i have a feeling people want to be have space around themselves <laughs> well, i do as you know the window open <laughs> yeah maybe it's just temporarily i don't know but i found the depiction of the tourists in the film very subtle could you elaborate on what you wanted to show through the vision we have of the island through the eyes of tourists and how that would impact the lives of the the residents you know living on an island is a very difficult life and i specifically didn't want to portray the island as a postcard tourist postcard i was choosing the places that have no trees nothing green very um rigid and very dry mm. and almost unlivable it's almost like you know landing on the moon i wanted the characters to feel that they are burning under the sun they have nowhere to hide i think that this type of story could not have happened in the apartment with air condition it needed to be in such a place and very often tourists perceive as oh, i would have loved to live this all year around but they don't imagine that you need to wake up at certain hour that you are completely broken down by salt by sea by wind by sun it's impossible and what does that look like in the winter it's even worse mm-hmm. because all the warmth and the sea that you can you know exuberate does not 
exist. It's freezing. It's mm-hmm. like it's this humidity going straight to your bones. It's dramatic, you know. And I wanted to show the different angle also to violence because we imagined that violence happens in dark alleys, in the poverty, in the these moist places under the stairs, you know. Violence happens everywhere. Violence happens in the pure daylight, under sunlight, in a tourist location. I wanted to kind of reverse this story and the way these locations are used as really antagonistic force. I was going to say, Michael, I don't know if you, did you feel that as a as a viewer, this kind of arid character to the land that feels quite oppressive in a way, even though it's beautiful. Well, you felt also the girl feeling she wants to get out. It's, it's a wonderful film, I must say. What are you thinking of doing next? Next, I am working on um, a story between mother and daughter. I like to call it, it's a story of beautiful colors and dark sensuality. It's a, it's a, it's a, the, these delicate dynamics between mother and daughter, they are no longer oppressed like in Murena by, you know, exterior antagonistic chauvinistic force or isolation of the island. They have no such oppressions, but more the dynamics that... Um, Will yes. it be America? Yes, New York and Mexico. Oh, how interesting. Why is that? I, I like to portray this moment between Christmas and New Year's when people travel, but it's also the family time. And I want to put these two women in a society that really inverses all that this parental and child love is about. So it's almost like secret sacred meets profane are you particularly interested in exploring the kind of mother-daughter dynamic in this film yes um i started morina by exploring the stranger entering the family as a catalyst to their own dynamics and you know the, the the difference between mentalities and the personal freedom the resilience of escape what is meant for you And now I'm interested in the dynamics between women that inevitably at one moment in their life become woman to a woman, to each other, not only the family blood and bond. And that is triggered by society that we live in, that it's so heavily judging us on uh, aging and youth versus like what is what is beauty, what is what is the time you have, what is lost at which moment in life you're appealing or not and what is it that you need to do faced with death and whether you choose your children or your own let's say exuberance and satisfaction it's a big problem for it's a problem that women have that men don't often have really in the same way work a career against your children children career I, I agree, but also I think that things are changing. Hopefully they are. I like to believe they are. Like, for example, I have an incredible husband who is so much supporting what I do. I'm here in London and I'm going in two days to Paris and Strasbourg and he's at home with the baby. Well, I was going to touch on that. Yeah, there is a, a baby who's less than a year old. <laughs> well, my daughter, she's had, this is her office. She, uh-huh. she manages stand-up comics. And she has a husband very like yours. So how do you set about your process? Have you settled a routine for how you get a film off the ground, how you begin it, how you develop it, how you work with people in getting the thing? I believe I do have one. It's I'm just testing it for a second yeah. time. In the um, Into the Blue and this one, the, the lovely young woman who acts for you, 
Yes, I, I worked with her in a short film and I wrote feature film specifically for her. But I I wake up in the morning and I start writing. And I write for a couple of hours until I can no longer write. I work with co-writers. And do you write a story or a script? I write first a story, then I write a treatment, then I go into the script, or sometimes other way around. But sometimes it requires that you write out the script and then you have to go back to the story and many times around. I really write a lot. So back and forth, story, script, story, script. Yes. And how do you write with co-writers? Do you have them in mind already when you start the process do you think oh that per- i would love to work with that person on this particular story that i'm telling or no no i i've always tackled project by myself first and then i by intuition choose a person that presents himself always by certain strange synchronicities it's i i choose to work with people totally based on intuition and it has worked so far knock on wood (laughs) it's a very delicate dynamics uh, working with a co-writer because um, writing is always so laborious like it's thousands and thousands of hours and it's about getting lost and you know finding yourself again and sometimes you can be lost for weeks I wouldn't say years hopefully but weeks months and you really need to find this resilient people with faith and trust that you will find yourself mm-hmm. again and uh, these people are need to be definitely workaholics i'm a workaholic and um it's an exciting journey but you know how it is it's going through the storm you only realize once you're out of it <laughs> and uh, right now i'm working with a wonderful writer yinu Wang, and um on Mori and i worked with frank graziano She's Chinese, he's American, she's a woman, he's a man. And we kind of share, um, all three of us, um, common language about writing because we all went to Colombia. What's specific about Colombia writing? I don't know if if it's about Colombia writing, but sharing the same space and listening to each other speaking of the movies within certain, let's let's say, classical breakdown. Are there values that, that Colombia sort of gave you? I met some great people at Columbia. I had some wonderful professors. Um, I particularly loved um, seeing narrative with James Seamus. I think that class really shaped me. We were reading philosophers, and uh, he was um, he is really a, a pillar of films in some way, New York mm. independent films. I was just <laughs> looking at this thing at the end here, your previous interview we talked about. The... Um, the important, you say, you know, you, it has to be an important film, as if you were about to die. It might be your last film. I was wondering what the sort of things you would regard as is so important that they have to be told, and that you look for a way of doing it. Good question. Yeah, I. There are several things. I think it's very important that film comes from place within you that really itches, but it is made for the audience. What I mean is. It's not backwards engineered, it's yours, yeah. but you already know it because you've made it in your head. So you are really focused on walking the audience through that experience to deliver them at the emotional place where you want them to arrive to be free or to be shaken or whatever that place is. That's one that's that's the process. But what starts it is 
there's some there's always some spirituality and something that connects us to God. When I say God or divine, I don't mean by certain religion, but something that's higher than us, something that makes us feel small and humbling, whether it's a relationship or an event that changes you, but something that always connects you to something bigger than yourself. And I think that's very important in cinema. It's almost like, you know, Kantian sublime that should be experienced within the theater in a safe place where you are realizing that you're very small and that there's something so much bigger, dynamic, mathematical, strong and powerful than you. And that kind of inverts you of looking at everything else in a different way. I think that's the quality I'm interested in. And then another one is always going from the character. I think I'm interested in characters that are in dilemma, in between always impossible choices, and that character drives the action. It's not the plot. Character creates the plot by the way they move through the story and the choices they make. And um, if I can give myself a kick... <laughs> then that's the movie I'm going to so make. So it comes from some strong feeling within you. Yes, I would think so. You know, Morina came from two or three feelings, I would say. I started writing Into the Blue, remembering these hormones. It's almost like, you know, tactile. It's palpable when you're like 13 and you're just getting in touch with, I exist, I'm here. You know, I'm not part of something. I am individual. And you are set free. I was always spending my summers on the island with my grandmother and my great-grandmother. And we would be totally set free, you know, running around and um, like hordes of children uh, building camps and being in wars with each other. It was always like almost on the edge of like death, you know. Uh, I mean, in this crazy nature, it was not, you know, uh, made for children. They didn't put the safety bars anywhere uh and i made into the blue from that place what happens when the hormones take over within the dangerous environment yes it was all about you're dangerous she was dangerous it was all about danger yes outside and inside mm -hmm. and how it clashes and that's and and gratia did such a beautiful job with that role and when i saw her and then i when i scratched into this youth and resilience that she had. I really wanted to see that on screen in a feature form. But like, it was even more interesting that age of 13, I wanted to portray the age of stepping into womanhood, but not being aware of it yet. Mm -hmm. So it was just really, I really probably had only 12 months, maybe 16 to capture that until it's gone. It's almost before entering, I don't know, experience of sexuality, when you are, don't know what is sexuality yet. And I really rushed to write that script, to finance the movie, and to make it with her. And um, through that process, I discovered mm -hmm. more, many more things. And yeah, the, a lot of people say it's a feminist film. That was never in my mind when I started making it, but definitely it is. I was not so aware of my own feminism at the time, because... I did not think I need to be particularly loud as a feminist. I, I come from a family of very strong women, and they are, there was no need to fight, right? But I just discovered that through making this it film. It wasn't a one-track film. It had all sorts of 
themes in it. it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's partly why it was so interesting. And what did you, in the process of doing this, what if, what's the most valuable things you've learned in that? Well, whenever you think that you worked hard and that you put all your blood and tears and sweat, you haven't worked hard enough. That's when you start. <laughs> That's when you just start working. Oh, gosh. What, making a film, is that tough? I think so. I think film is like a family constellation. You know, it's also like a piece of witchcraft. If I come as a witch and I put this family together through different actors and different um, collaborators, you take someone's mm -hmm. blood and tears and sweat and joy and laughter and experience and trauma and you put it all you together into well, this one mm. film that it's now physical object. You mm. know, it's really like making this pot of portion. And this physical object is a totem of this magic. And when others watch it, they are changed, hopefully, or they are influenced or affected, same as you would be by taking a magic potion. So I really think it's a witchcraft making a movie. A witch. Lots of directors say, <clears throat> I've read it in, over the years, that they make the film... And then when they see it again, oh, I would have done that so much better now. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. So there's always things that when you see it again, you feel... Always, of course. But that's why I don't watch it again. <laughs> you know, I had a great talk with Jane Campion. And we had drinks in her lo lobby of her hotel after her screening. And I said, don't watch my film. It's not that good. She said, don't you ever say that again. She said, you would not let your child go into the world and yell after him. He's not a great child. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting because we are all, of course, very um, critical. It's important also, you know. I cherish my criticism and my fear of making the film. Once you lose it, you, you're doomed to make a bad film, I think. So that's something I guard. But it's good not to speak about it. What do you feel about the alternatives making films in the United States or in Europe in Croatia or other European countries you know when I was 18 and I decided instead of theater pursuing film production were you an actress in the theater I was a theater for 11 years Gosh, that's why you're such a great director Thank you. <laughs> I mean that must have helped Yes, theater is very helpful because there's no editing mm -hmm. you are right there in front of the audience and you need to create the rhythm and the tension right there. There's no other tool exterior that is flushed over many hours of thinking that can help and no you. No wonder you value the script. Yes, of course. <laughs> That's um, what the actor has. But going off of the net last question, what was it? I, lo I lost Europe one. or the United States? Europe, yes. Europe, exactly. yes, exactly. <laughs> so I was thinking, I want to make movies that are merging two different cinemas. Because I really, really love about European cinema the themes that it decides to depict and the visual life, the visual metaphors, and how seriously it takes that language. But I really love about US cinema is how it attends to the audience and really wants audience to be on board with that story. So having those two things in the same time, I think makes very good independent and audience films. I, I wish I will succeed to make those one day. But on the other hand, <clears throat> it seems to me that 
films produced in the in the USA, if they're big budget films, they've got to be global because otherwise they're not going to make the money. Whereas European films, smaller budgets, they can make them. You can have a French film, you can have a Swedish film, you can have a Danish film, you can have a British film, mainly for the local markets, and so they can make a culturally targeted film. Um, and the global films have to be equally appealing <clears throat> to a farmer in the Ukraine, in China, in South America, in India. And so it has to be very generic, very um, universal. I think that there's universality in a very local film. And once you can depict that specific life, that it's so far from white men in Texas, someone in Africa or South America or China, and they can relate to it. I think that's an important path to think of. But it often has to be rather simple, simplified to be, un- to be intelligible. No, but simplicity is so complex. <laughs> it's so it hard to be simple. Yeah. It no, takes true. many drafts of the script to be very simple. And people are people worldwide. So if you're talking about human nature, that's... Uh, Yes, Mm -hmm. I think that family, love of a parent towards a child, desire, uh, need to fulfill your potential, um, the the want from more than what you need, the the seeking of knowledge, you know, the desire to connect and believe that there's something after you die that uh, that that exists across the globe, Mm -hmm. and respect for people. That's universal humility. Arrogance, all these qualities, they're all universal. Yes. <laughs> it's been fascinating. Some beautiful That's reflections on the nature of film itself. <laughs> it was great to talk to you. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you. I definitely want to show all the films I make in this cinema. It's so beautiful. It's a total love and passion. It's very visible in all the details, and I really love it. Thank you. Really. Thank you so much, Antonetta, for joining us. It was a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Michael. This was the Garden Cinema Film Talk. You can find out more about the cinema screenings and seasons on our website, thegardencinema.co.uk, and follow us, send us comments and feedback on our social media, at The Garden Cinema. Thank you for listening.